God, John chapter 4, beginning with verse 19. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And you say that Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when you shall neither worship in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem. Worship the Father. You worship, you know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is. When the true worshipers, everybody say true worshipers, shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. The woman said unto Him, I know that Messiah comes, which is called Christ. When He is come, He will tell us all things. Jesus said unto her, I that speak unto thee am He. I want to preach to you today, reach upward. Reach upward. The tagline for this message today is, What is genuine worship? What is genuine worship? As we pray today for the remainder of this service, I would appreciate your prayers for the Wheeler family, brother and sister Wheeler and their family. They're brand new to Grace Church. We're just now getting acquainted with them, but one of their boys was in a very serious car accident this past Thursday morning. He's 26 years old, and he's not expected to survive. And uh, I want us to lift this family up in prayer. We're staying in very close contact with them. And I want us to pray for this family that God would undergird them with comfort and strength as only he can. Their son, who is on life support this morning, is, is Joshua. He was at church this last Sunday morning. He was here with us worshiping. You never know what a week brings, do you? You never know what a week brings, do you? That's why it's imperative that we maintain our relationship with God 24-7. We have to maintain our relationship with God. So as we pray over the remainder of this service, let's join together and pray for the Wheeler family this morning. Father, we love you today. We're so thankful for your awesome presence that's already been made manifest in this service today. We're thankful, God, for the ever-abiding presence hand of God. We're thankful today that we can step into your presence to worship you. I pray for this service today that you would have your way, that the will of God would be done. In addition to that, God, we pray for the wheelers. You know where they are right now. You know the feeling of their heart. You are touched by the feeling of our infirmities. And I pray, God, today that you would minister to them, that you would comfort them, that you would give them peace. I pray, God, that the Prince of Peace would invade their hearts and minds right now, that you would walk through them through this very dark time. I pray in Jesus' name for these things, and everyone say amen. God bless you. You may be seated today. I want you to consider with me for a moment what could potentially happen in one single day. And it goes something like this. A group of teenagers in a worship celebration at a youth convention were jumping up and down as they sang. The music was loud, it was upbeat, it was enthusiastic. 
Streamers were waving. Even confetti was released as the crowd jumped in time with the beat of the music and sang praises to the Lord. Across town at the very same time, at the very same moment, a group of senior adults were meeting together in their regular Wednesday evening prayer meeting at the church. The room was totally quiet. The group was meditating, considering how God had been so good to them. When they did speak, they voiced prayers for their friends and loved ones who didn't have a relationship with the Lord. They even prayed for others they knew who had medical conditions that would require the attention of doctors and even uh, hospital stays for some. Earlier that same afternoon in the same town, a group of daycare teachers led a group of four-year-olds on a nature walk. They went into a nearby field, and the boys and girls looked closely at the beauty and the variety of flowers that God had created. They saw and chased some butterflies and realized that God made each one of them special. Their eyes were also open to the realization that God created each boy and girl special as well and beautiful in his or her own unique way. On that same day, in that same town, a businessman knelt down in a hospital chapel and wept as he thanked God for sparing his wife, bringing her through a serious surgical procedure. He wept as he realized how good God had been to him, but also how he had neglected God. He wept at how he had allowed his job and his career to take too much time, and he had, had monopolized his thoughts to the point that he had, had not spent needed time with his wife and with his children. As he knelt in that room, he repented of his sin. He gave his heart back to Jesus and committed himself to becoming a better husband and a better father. Across that same town on the same day, that evening a single mother knelt down as she smiled. She watched her two young children sleeping soundly. She thanked God for the marvelous gift He had given her in them. Yes, she missed her husband who had died in an accident three months ago, but she sensed a, she sensed a peace inside because she knew God would take care of her and her children. The situations I've just named that could potentially happen in one single day, in one single town, they're all different from one another. The types of expressions were all so different, but they had one thing in common. They had one thing in common. In each case, the person or people connected with God on that day. They experienced genuine worship. In the Old Testament, the Bible tells us that Enoch walked with God, enjoying such close fellowship with the Lord that he never died. He just left this world and entered the other one almost as a natural experience. Isaiah, seeing the Lord in a vision, fell on his face and cried out for forgiveness. David danced before the Lord, celebrating and rejoicing. The children of Israel fasted and gathered for a solemn assembly, waiting to hear God's instruction for them before they entered 
into the promised land. Jonah worshipped God from the belly of a fish. Solomon assembled choirs and trumpeteers and people to parade in a grand worship celebration at the dedication of the new temple in Jerusalem. The Jewish exiles who returned with Nehemiah to rebuild the wall in Jerusalem when they heard Ezra stand and read from the scroll of the law, they stood as one honoring the reading of the word of the Lord. Daniel prayed to the Lord even through a decree, even though a decree had been issued by Darius, a Persian king, that no one should pray to Jehovah. He ended up in a den of lions, but God spared him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel's friends likewise, chose not to obey a decree of Nebuchadnezzar to bow down before an idol that he had erected. They ended up in a fiery furnace, but again, God spared them. Jeremiah wept as he preached God's message of judgment. Elijah called fire down from heaven, bringing glory to the Lord on the Mount Carmel. In the New Testament, the apostles gathered in an upper room. They saw flames of fire suspended in the air above their head, and they heard themselves speak in tongues. Stephen glorified God in public, even though the stones began to slam into his body and began to take his life away. Paul and Silas, bruised and bleeding from a beating of persecution for proclaiming Jesus, sang hymns late in the evening in their prison cell, and the other prisoners heard them. The disciples returned from their travels, rejoicing that demons were subject to them. A man who had been lame from birth after being healed by Jesus went into the temple in Jerusalem, leaping and shouting for joy, rejoicing over the fact that God had healed him. At the same temple, a widow woman with no fanfare and seeking to avoid any attention from others quietly placed her last two coins into the temple offering. The apostle Paul poured his heart out, his heart and insight into spiritual matters and letters he wrote to the churches while he was sitting in a prison cell. And of course, our greatest example is Jesus himself. He preached in synagogues. He preached in open fields. From a boat and from private gatherings in a room with his disciples. He healed the blind and raised the dead. He took up his disciples up on a mountain for a mountaintop experience of revelation at his transformation. He also went alone into a mountain to pray to connect with his father. He cried out of his heart in Gethsemane and again from the cross. Then he encouraged Mary and the other women who came to the tomb on Easter Sunday morning and later that night he encouraged all of his disciples gathered together in an upper room and then he repeated the following Sunday on an occasion that now included Thomas and continued to encourage his followers until he was taken up into heaven some 40 days later they were all of these people they were reaching they were reaching they were reaching upward they were reaching inward they were reaching Godward. All of these biblical incidents had one thing in common. They represent very different types of expressions and experiences but once again, in each case, each person and individual and all of these examples I just gave you had one thing in common and they connected with God. They worshipped they worshipped. It wasn't where they were. It wasn't the circumstance. It was their attitude. It was their lifestyle. Their reach was upward. Everybody say reach. 
Gordon Dahl said, has rightly noticed, most middle-class Americans tend to worship their work. Middle-class Americans worship their work. They're more devoted to their work than they are their marriage, than they are to parenting their children. Americans worship their work. Their job has become an idol to, has become an idol to them. And they are forced to bow to it. No matter what's going on in their life. And no matter what the kingdom demands. Americans worship their work. They work at their play. And they play at their worship. Americans tend to worship their work. I'm going to be real bunt and bold here this morning. This is something I've been burdened about for months. If your job keeps you out of church on a consistent basis, you need to find another job. Are you folks sleeping this morning? Is my microphone, does anybody agree with that? Or are we okay with having jobs that demand of our time and it's okay to miss church? I don't find any biblical precedent for that whatsoever. And everyone said, Amen. But Americans worship their work, work at their play, and play at their worship. It's not how it's supposed to be. The Bible teaches that worship is the first of five purposes God has prescribed for His church. It's worship, discipleship, fellowship, evangelism, and missions. This is a reach that God has designed for the church that is upward, inward, and outward. Each of the purposes is important. But before we can be disciples, we must first worship. Before we can fellowship, we must first worship. Before we can evangelize, we must first worship. Before we can be missionaries, we must first worship. It's interesting to me that one of Jesus' first converts was converted through a conversation which which is about worship, which is what our text is about in John chapter 4. If we don't understand worship, if we don't first connect with God we have no real power to accomplish what we learn as disciples that we're to do if we're not worshiping it's highly unlikely that we will be involved in evangelism or missions which is teaching a class anywhere from teaching a Sunday school class to going overseas to a mission field worship I'm going to get into this in a minute But worship is not just lifting hands and clapping hands and saying, I love you, Jesus, love you, Jesus. Worship is an attitude. Worship is a lifestyle. Worship is something every facet of our life goes through. It's a conduit through which we live our lives. Somebody say, Amen. If we're not connecting with God, we're not going to be right and fellowship with one another either. Remember the Scripture setting. Jesus speaking to the Samaritan woman at the well in Samaria. Notice, He said, The hour cometh, and now is, 
when they're true worshipers. I love that statement. There's a lot of people that worship. There's a lot of people that make an attempt at worship. But Jesus specified here today that there's a group of people that roam this planet. There's a group of people that coexist on this planet. And he calls them true worshipers. He said they shall worship the Father in spirit. And in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit. And they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. You'll notice the capital S when the verse refers to God. The Spirit of God is the capital S. It's the Holy Ghost. Notice the lowercase s. When the verse refers to us, it's our human spirit. It's a spirit that God gave us, but nonetheless, it's human spirit. The fundamental truth that Jesus is explaining here is that genuine worship happens when we join our little S spirit with God's capital S spirit. In other words, worship is about connecting with God, joining our spirits with the Spirit of God. Notice the other important characteristic of genuine worship that Jesus explains. Genuine worship is not one-sided but balanced. We're to worship Him in spirit and in truth. Not either are, but both and. Notice, worship is not about where we are. It's not about whether we get together on this mountain as the woman at the well referred to or on some other mountain over there. It's not about whether we're in a worship center or a school cafeteria. Instead, worship starts on the inside of us and it billows all out of us. Worship, notice folks, is not an event. Just because you're in attendance today doesn't mean you're worshiping. Worship doesn't even happen by osmosis. Just getting close to others who are worshiping is not worship. Worship is a choice, and a choice each person must make for him or herself. Worship is not about merely singing or merely preaching. I often hear folks describing the church they attend by saying something like this. Well, I really enjoy our worship there. The preaching's okay too, but I really enjoy the worship. Or others will say the worship isn't all that good. It's not as good as I like it, but I really enjoy the preaching. What you don't understand is that both are worship. Everything we do is a byproduct of worship. It's a reflection of the God in our life that we reverence, that we respect, that we adore, that we love, and we want to worship Him. And we live our lives as pleasing unto Him. It's an act of worship. It's an attitude. It's a lifestyle. And folks, let's reach upward. Let's reach upward. Everybody clap your hands. Worship is not about what we sing. Neither is it how well we sing it. Or how well it's accompanied. Or what book it's from. Worship is not about entertainment. There's nothing wrong with applause or quality being emphasized in how we present the truths of the Word of God through song. There's nothing wrong with using state-of-the-art technological advances to help these truths. But worship can and should occur with or without music. With or without a PowerPoint projector. With or without streaming video or lighting or lasers or choreography or screens or some other thing. I want to stop here in passing and say, I love our technology. Some of you may not. It's just a little too modern for me. But I challenge you right now to think of what Solomon's temple would have been like had it been built in this era. 
that had lasers flying across it, that had more PowerPoint projectors and screens than you could count. His altars were huge. His baptistry was huge. His altar of incense was huge. Everything was huge. He would have lights that blink. He'd have lights strobing. He'd have lights roaming around the building. It would look like a glorified football stadium, in my opinion. There's just not enough you can bring to the table when it comes to the worship of our God. And that's why we do that here. We don't have lights to look cool. We don't have screens to look cool. It's a form of our worship. We want God to be in your face when you walk in the door. Amen. Worship is not about hymns versus courses, fast songs or slow songs. In fact, if we engage in a verbal shout down with someone else over these elements of worship, it's obvious that we're not people who have recently worshipped at all. It's obvious that we aren't truly connecting with God. Worship is not about whether it's public or private. Worship privately, intimately, quiet times alone with God. Absolutely. But we should also heed the New Testament instruction in Hebrews 10.25 and be the people who are not forsaking the assembling of themselves together. Or should we understand and be the same mind of David when he wrote in the Old Testament, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Is anybody glad to be here today? Now I'm going to stop and say what's not popular to say in the pulpit. The New Year celebration's over. That was last weekend. The reason I didn't do what I'm doing today last weekend is because you would be tired and you stayed up half the night to watch the clock reach midnight and your kids would be up late and all that kind of stuff. All that's over. What's the matter with Grace Church this morning? Are y'all on board? Don't do this, I'm just listening things. I'm not giving you super heavy, duty, deep content that you need to think about. I'm talking about the worship of our God. And it is not convenient to sit there so we're like brook trout, as Coop says sometimes. There's a God here today. Somebody get on your feet. How about that? And would you clap your hands and give up some praise to Jesus right now? Come on, somebody. We're here to worship God. We're not here for a social function. We're not here to go through a tradition or a routine. Jesus is our focal point of worship. I want you to do something for me right now. I want you to look at that chair. Everybody look at that chair. Y'all see it? If you can't see it, get up and look at it. Worked six months on this service today, and it ain't going to go south on me. I'll do this by myself if I have to, Chris Lewis. That's a private joke. You see that chair? I want you to pretend, close your eyes, and I want you to imagine that Jesus is sitting in it. What would you do? What are you going to do? Jesus is sitting in that chair right there. Anybody got a response? One more time. Would you clap your hands and shout unto the Lord with a voice of triumph? We're here to worship. 
Come on, people, reach. Reach beyond yourself. Reach beyond your tradition. Reach beyond your habit. Reach beyond your style. This is about God. This is about God, our healer, our redeemer, our savior, our Lord, our provider. You may be seated. We'll try again in a few minutes. Worship is not about whether it's private or public. Worship is not about style. Jesus' words to the woman at the well in John 4 was referring specifically to a difference in a style of worship. The Samaritans, of course, hated by the Jews, they worshiped on a particular mountain. They had the idea that if we don't worship at this location, then it's not worship. Their worship celebrations were known for their exuberance, their enthusiasm. They were loud. They were rambunctious. There, they were, there, there was lots of small S spirit in their expression. However, there was almost no truth represented in their worship. It was absent of truth. The Jews, on the other hand, worshipped in their temple in Jerusalem, and Jesus said that. Their focus was on truth or the law of Moses. They studied it, read it, focused on it, wrote commentaries about it, even added to it, and insisted on obeying the commandments they perceived to be God's principles. But there was very little, if any, enthusiasm or excitement. They, they certainly were not rambunctious or spontaneous. Their gatherings had as much excitement as attending the latest dental seminar on how to extract a molar in a proper way. Kind of like it is here this morning. What Jesus was explaining in that is that genuine worship is to be focused on truth, absolutely. But also, let it touch your heart and move us to express those truths in a spirited, enthusiastic, and joyful expression. I wish we could understand. Genuine worship is God-focused and reverent. Jesus said, true worshipers shall worship the Father. In other words, true worshipers worship God. True worshipers worship God. The most fundamental of all questions is not how we are to worship or what style are we to employ or when are we to worship. The fundamental question is who? Are we to worship? I'm reminded of the little boy on Sunday morning saying his evening prayers before bedtime. He knelt next to his bed, bowed his head, and said, Dear God, we had a great time at church today. I wish you could have been there. We're blessed to have a great worship team. And they work hard. And it shows as we saw even today. But listen. But in major productions and major auditoriums, there's a, what is called a prompter's box where someone with a script is unseen by the crowd but is there to prompt actors who might need a hint as to the next line to cue them in or off the stage at the proper time. 
one man has rightly observed. In most churches, we have the preacher performing with God as the promoter and the people as the audience. In truth, worship should be the people performing, the preacher as the prompter, and God as the audience. You see, no matter how many people are in this room, the audience size is always the same. Worship is always presented to an audience of one. Worship is always presented to an audience of one. And His name is Jesus. If you came to worship today so you might receive or get something from God, you really came for the wrong reason. Worship isn't about what we get from God, a blessing, a warm, fuzzy feeling, a shot in the arm, and so on. The focus of genuine worship is to be about what we give to God and how we bless Him. We used to sing sometimes, and rightly so, of course, that I've loved through the years. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you. Oh, my soul, rejoice. Take joy, my King, in what you hear. And may it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. Again, the right attitude that we should bring to the Lord in worship is expressed in the Matt Redmond song when he said, I'm coming back to the heart of worship. Because it's all about you. Because it's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the things we've made it. Because it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I want you to consider with me this morning one of the many Hebrew words for worship, and this one is shaha. It means to fear or to hold in awe. It's a picture of the children of Israel standing before Mount Sinai, shaking, fearful, afraid to approach the presence of God. They see the lightning, hear the thunder, and they're so afraid they send Moses up in their place while they stay put, fearing the awesome power of God. It speaks of His majesty. The Word speaks of His glory, His power, and the awareness that He is indeed an awesome God. It recognizes that He is the God of wonders, that He is holy unlike any other being. It is a real awareness that He is the Creator and the Lord of the entire universe. We're not ready to worship until we recognize God's majesty, His grandeur, and give Him our full attention. God-focused worship is His evidence by the yielding of our spirit to the Holy Spirit of God recognizing Him for who He really is. I'm going to ask you to stand with me one more time this morning. And one more time from the bottom of your heart. Can we reach upward? Is everybody from the bottom of your heart, can you reach upward? Imagine God sitting in that chair this morning. Now, there are some things you'd like to say to Him that are wonderful. Now, there are some things that you'd like to say to Him that are complimentary, that are heartfelt, that are sincere. Things you wanted to say all of your life, well, now you have the opportunity. I'm going to ask you, everybody, this morning one more time, let's reach. Everybody reach.
Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I'll bring this. I'll bring this message to a conclusion with this point. While you remain standing, if you can begin to give God your full undivided attention. Genuine worship is God-honoring and celebrative. Genuine worship is God-honoring and is celebrative. You celebrate God. You celebrate the goodness and greatness of God. The psalmist said, O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. The psalmist said, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. The Anglo-Saxon word for worship connotes a matter of declaring or ascribing worth. It declares that His worthiness is to be praised. Genuine worship openly acknowledges and proclaims God's praise and His worthiness. Worship is directed to God. And we engage in worship because of who He is. Worship then includes shouting to the Lord and declaring His matchless praise. In 1992, in 1992, I know it's a long time ago, before the time a lot of you were even born, when the Dallas Cowboys were preparing to face the San Francisco 49ers in San Francisco, the Dallas Cowboys organization held a pep rally at Texas Stadium. The audience cheered wildly for each player as he was introduced. Fans carried banners, painted their faces, and proudly wore blue and white outfits. They shouted and screamed until they were hoarse. Not one fan walked away saying, Man, that event was a dud. It did nothing for me. I didn't get anything out of it at all. You see, the event was considered by all to be a success. Not because the performance was great. The team didn't even play. They never threw a pass. They never scored a touchdown or kicked a field goal. The team never picked up a football. It wasn't because of the players' speeches were all that inspiring either. Come on, they're football players, not public speakers. No, it was a success because everyone there understood why they were there. Their purpose was not to please the fans but to honor the team. The people walked away saying, man, that was great. I hope the team understands how much we appreciate them and how much we support them. When we understand the purpose of worship, we're more likely to walk away saying, that was great, and I hope God knows I love and appreciate Him. It's not about us. It's about Him. I can't tell you how many Sunday mornings I've exited the platform to walk to my office, 
to just freshen up a bit and then come back out and shake hands and what have you. I've walked into my office after our worship team sang and played hard. I preached hard, and I've walked into that office with tears streaming down my face and asking God, I hoped you liked what we gave to you today. The Bible tells us to praise Him with all the instruments, including loud-sounding cymbals and trumpets. We're instructed to praise Him with strings and percussion and brass and woodwinds and with shouts of joy. Let me share this with you in conclusion. At a conference at a certain denominational church in Omaha, Nebraska some years back, the people in that church didn't believe or that organization didn't believe in exuberant worship like we do. But the people were all given a helium balloon. Everybody was given a helium balloon. And they were told to release those balloons at some point in the service when they felt like expressing the joy that was in their heart for God. They didn't have the freedom to shout hallelujah and praise the Lord and amen and so on as we do. So all through the service, balloons were randomly and spontaneously released and ascended up to the ceiling. However, when the service was over, more than one-third of the congregants still held the balloon in their hand. I'll ask you today, figuratively speaking, are you still holding yours? Have you released it yet? Have you released the feeling in your heart that you have for God? God wants us to let our balloons go. Come on, Grace. Let's reach beyond ourselves. Our traditions, our pettiness, our excuses. Let's reach upward. Let's reach Godward. Let's reach heavenward. God, I feel the Holy Ghost in the house today. In an atmosphere of worship where the Spirit of the Lord truly has liberty, you can be filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You can be healed physically, mentally, emotionally. You can be delivered from a grievous habit. God can minister to your marriage. He can minister to your kids. He can minister to you as a parent in a, in a moment like this. Jesus converted a woman through the subject of worship. If we'll worship Him. Oh God, if we could worship Him. So I'm going to leave the rest of this service up to you. If you want to get out in the aisle and worship, you can. If you want to come around the front and worship, you can. Remember, Jesus is sitting in that chair right there. And I want you to worship how you feel this morning. You make it happen. You make it happen. You have an audience of one this morning. And His name is Jesus. Jesus.